Well, as Cody said uh, just a couple of minutes ago, we're continuing our series in Abraham this morning. Um, so we'll get into that in just a second, but it is good to see everybody today. I can say this uh, very honestly. There are a couple of days, uh, Sundays throughout the year that aren't great to be a pastor, just because you're not really sure who's going to show up, and then like when people aren't here, you feel real bad about yourself and stuff like that. So I'm glad that you guys are here. It helps me feel better about myself today. And in fact, I was noticing as, as you guys were coming in, some of you are here in the early service that are normally in the later service, and I wonder if maybe I've just said this enough over the years, you're like, hey, we're going to we're going to be a, a part of helping build self-esteem out today. We're going to show up at the early service. Um, so I don't know what you did, you know, with the schedule. We lost an hour, but you're here an hour early. I don't, it's, but hey, it's great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you guys are here. Um, if you are a guest with us and I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Bill, and it's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor here at the table. And we always love it when new folks come to our services. Um, and this is kind of the double whammy of time change and the first Sunday of spring break. So we've got people at home or wherever they are as they, uh, you know, needed to take the week off um, this week and stuff like that. But glad that you guys are here. If you are a guest with us, we would love to connect with you. And the easiest way to do that is for you to text the word welcome to 817-755-1668. Normally it's back there. If it's not, it's on the sticker in front of you. Um, so you can get that number off the sticker. And what you'll receive back from us is a uh, link to a digital guest card. We'd love for you to fill out. We can find out um, just begin to build a relationship with you so we can find out how to, to serve you and your family because we're glad you're here. And if I didn't get a chance to meet you on the way in this morning, I will make my way out into the lobby after the service and would love the opportunity to um, just introduce myself to you and find out um, a little bit about who you are. So glad you guys are here. Let's jump in. Let me pray for us and we'll get started with the message. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for your grace and love that you've extended to us, reaching down into our lives when we were lost in our sin and without hope, and you rescued us through the work of Jesus for us. And may we never forget the significance of the sacrifice of Jesus, what it cost you, what our redemption cost you. Father, help us to understand the mission that you've given to us too. And, and so, Father, as we spend some time in your word this morning, I pray that you would help us to understand more about who you want us to be as your people, how you want us to see the world, how we are to carry on your mission. And so, Father, I pray that you would um, convict us today, um, change our hearts, continue to make us more and more like our Savior, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Matthew 9, 36 and 37 says this, And Jesus went into all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were weary and worn out, like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion, not condemnation. The book, The Hiding Place, tells the story of Corey Tin Boom, who as an adolescent, along with her family, hid Jews in their home uh, from the Nazis during World War II. And eventually what they were doing was found out, and so Corey, along with her sister Betsy, were taken to a concentration camp. And as Corey tells the story, it was she was just moved by the way that her sister Betsy dealt with their captivity and the way that she viewed their captors. Because Corey says, all I saw was a gray uniform and a visored cap. But Betsy saw a wounded human being. Compassion, not condemnation. 
What happened in the courtroom on that October day in 2019 shocked most people. It was on that day that the brother of Botham, John, took the stand in talking about, uh, it was the day of the sentencing for his brother's murderer who was convicted of, Amber Geiger, convicted of killing a man in his own home. And as people watched that day, it would have been warranted for him to talk about the loss of a brother, the pain that their family went through and what they would never get back. It would have been understandable for him to demand justice, but instead of doing those things, he said, I forgive you. And I know that if you seek forgiveness, God will forgive you too. Compassion and not condemnation. Now, if I'm really honest with you, I do not like any of those stories. I don't like those stories because I want to be right, which means that somebody else is going to be wrong. I want to win means somebody else needs to lose. I want to be good, which means that someone else must be evil. But yet over and over again in Scripture, we see this value of compassion. Compassion and not condemnation. It's especially true in the life of Jesus where we constantly see him Acting with compassion, viewing people with compassion as he acts on their behalf. And those who would lean more towards condemnation, those were the ones who were the objects of his criticism. In the Gospel of John, we read about these religious leaders who brought this woman to Jesus who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they presented her to Jesus and said, listen, Jesus, the law says that we put her to death. What do you think we should do? Jesus got down on his knees and began to write in the dirt with his finger. And he said, whoever among you is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And one by one, all of the accusers left. And then Jesus said to the woman, where are your accusers? Those who would condemn you, have they gone? She said, yes, they're gone. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Compassion and not condemnation. In the polarized world that we live in today, where there is no such thing as different anymore, every position, every subject has moral value associated with it, it seems to me like we've lost the value of compassion and empathy. Because everything is good or bad, right or wrong. And we want to be right. We want to win. We want to be good. And we want to prove it to everybody else all the time. But the heart of God seems to be a heart of compassion and not condemnation. So we are continuing our series in the life of Abraham today, and what we're going to do is actually skip ahead just a little bit in Abraham's life. If you were here last week, we talked about where 
God showed up in Genesis 15 to reiterate the promise that God had first given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, where we began our series. Really, what our focus was on last week is how God entered into a covenant relationship with Abraham. And so typically, a covenant relationship was, if you do this, then I do that, and here's what happens as a result, and how we both benefit from this arrangement. But in the case of God and Abraham, it was God saying, I'll do my part, and I'll do your part, and all you have to do is trust in me. And it's a great picture of our relationship with God that's not based on what we do because God himself has said, I'll do my part and I'll do your part and all you have to do is trust in me and helps us to understand the security of our relationship with God because it is not at all based on what we do. It's based all on what Jesus has done for us. If you remember last week, we also mentioned this fact as we looked at Genesis chapter 15, when God showed up to Abraham, he said, hey, you will in fact have a son. And so Abraham believed that part, but yet he wasn't exactly sure how God was going to carry out that promise. As he was getting older, his wife Sarah was getting older, and she hadn't had any children, Abraham thought to himself, well, maybe it's through a surrogate. Maybe that's the way that God is going to fulfill his promise. As we follow Abraham's story through, that was not God's desire. That was not a part of God's plan. And so God eventually sent some visitors to Abraham to tell them, to tell him that in spite of his old age and Sarah's old age, they together were in fact going to have a son. We're going to come back to all of that next week. But there was another responsibility that these visitors had been tasked with. And that was that they were to go check in on the wickedness of two cities, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, which just so happened to be in the region where, nephew, or where Abraham's nephew Lot lived. And so we've talked about this throughout Abraham's life. There are moments of faith mixed with moments of unfaith. Sometimes he gets things right, sometimes he gets things wrong. And what we're going to see today is a moment of faith where Abraham reflects the heart of God, which is a heart of compassion and not condemnation. And so if you have a Bible with you this morning, I would invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 18. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 18, verses 16 through 33. So if you don't have a Bible in front of you, it will be on the screen as I read it here in just a second. Or if you are a YouVersion Bible app user, you can navigate your way to our live event and follow along there. Always remember lots of helpful resources, which includes the scripture, uh, questions for reflection, places to take notes. There's a link to our digital bulletin, lots of helpful information in there. And so that's our weekly commercial for the YouVersion app. Um, let me read this section, Genesis chapter 18, starting in verse 16. So the men got up. These are the visitors that came to announce to Abraham that he and Sarah were going to have a son. The men got up from there and looked out over Sodom. And Abraham was walking with them to see them off. And the Lord said, should I hide what I'm about to do from Abraham? Abraham is to become a great and powerful nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. For I've chosen him so that he will command his children and his house after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. This is how the Lord will fulfill to Abraham what he promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense, and their sin is extremely serious. I will go down to see if what they have done justifies the cry that has come up to me. If not, I'll find out. 
The men turned from there and went toward Sodom. And while Abraham remained standing before the Lord, Abraham stepped forward and said, listen, this is focus on this. Will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away instead of sparing the place for the sake of 50 righteous people who are in it? You could not possibly do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. You would not possibly do that. Won't the judge of the whole earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham answered, since I venture to speak, my Lord, even though I am dust and ashes, suppose the 50 righteous people lack five. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he replied, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. And he spoke to him again, suppose there are 40 found there. And he answered, I will not do it on account of 40. Then he said, let my Lord not be angry and I'll speak further. Suppose 30 are found there. And he answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Then he said, since I have ventured to speak to my Lord, suppose 20 are found there. And he replied, I will not destroy it on account of 20. Then he answered, let my Lord not be angry and I will speak one more time. Suppose 10 are found there. And he answered, I will not destroy it on account of 10. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he departed and Abraham returned to his place. I mentioned this previously. Oftentimes when I read through narrative portions of scripture, I try to put myself into the role of the people in the action, trying to decide what would I do if I were in that same place. And throughout Abraham's life, there have been times where I put myself in his shoes and I, I think, man, I, I, I hope that I would do what Abraham did, but I'm not sure that I would. Those are the moments of faith. In the moments of unfaith, I often find myself thinking, and I hope I'm not as stupid as Abraham was, but yet I fear that I might be. But I'll tell you, when I read this story, I, I, I read this and I think there's no way that I would ever do what Abraham did. And I find myself being really convicted by this portion of Scripture. It says that God says, should I hide what I'm getting ready to do from Abraham? And so the Lord revealed to Abraham that he was getting ready to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, these exceedingly wicked cities. And Abraham begins to intercede on their behalf. We find out just how wicked these cities are uh, as we continue reading through, if we were to continue the section that we just read, because these visitors go and stay with Lot, and there's a mob of people who go to Lot's house seeking to pull these visitors out because they wanted to rape them. And sometimes people will say, man, things are so bad today, like worse than they've ever been. And I say to myself, sometimes I say it out loud, most often it's in my own head, they're not worse than they've ever been. Genesis 6 says, the thoughts of men's heart were only evil always, and God chose to destroy the earth with a flood. And then there's what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not as bad as it's ever been. But Abraham begins to intercede on their behalf. He says, God, playing on, on, on the justice of God, the heart of God, he says, God, would you treat the righteous and the wicked the same way? You're not going to destroy the righteous along with the wicked, 
And so if there are 50 righteous people in the city, will you spare the city? And God said, no, I'm, I, for, fi- for the sake of 50 righteous people, I'll spare the entire city. He says, well, what about if there's 45? And God says, no, I, I won't destroy it if there's 45. And Abraham says, well, what about 40 and, and 30? And, and then he gets all the way down to 10. And God said, no, I won't destroy the city for 10 righteous people. And it says that Abraham went home because there weren't even 10. Compassion and not condemnation. And I want you to understand, Abraham is interceding on behalf of these people, not because he's saying, well, well, God, they're not really that bad. But he was saying, in spite of their wickedness, well, you have compassion on the people. And honestly, as I read this passage passage of Scripture, my thought is, how did Abraham get there? Because I think I want to be more like Abraham, and I'm not sure that I can. And the truth is, in the text that we're looking at today, there is nothing that would indicate why Abraham did what he did. Yet at the same time, what I want to do is give you four reasons that Abraham might have viewed the people of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah with compassion and not condemnation. So the first reason that Abraham might have, we don't know this for sure, but the first reason that Abraham might have viewed the people with compassion and not condemnation is because he knew them. This is a really easy fact to overlook, but I mentioned last week, after Abraham and Lot separated, it was Lot who went to live in the region of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and really wasn't very long that he lived there. He found that he got himself in trouble because three kings of the region made war against the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and in the process of that, Lot and his family were taken captive, and so also were a lot of residents of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Abraham found out about that. He gathered together his own war party and went to rescue Lot and his family, and he did so. But also at the same time, not only did he rescue Lot and his family, but he also rescued many citizens of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so while these people, they may have been wicked people, they may have been evil people at the same time, maybe the reason that Abraham viewed them with compassion was because he knew them. See, I find it's really easy to condemn people, to hate people, when they're just nameless, faceless people who hold a different position than I do, maybe hold to a different value system than I do, hold to a different worldview than I do. But it's really hard to hate people when you get close when you know them. I want you to think, who are, who, who are they to you? Those people that you're quick to condemn, those people that sometimes you might look at and say, what's wrong with those people who do that thing? Why are they that way? I want you to think about who they are. Because I bet if you knew them, and they're not just nameless, faceless people who hold a position or whatever it is, I bet if you really knew them, your attitude towards them would change. Because I I think in reality, there are very few people that live in the world today that are just pure evil. 
that do evil things for the sake of doing evil things. Now, as we've watched the war in Ukraine play out in front of us over the last couple of weeks, I am wondering, honestly, is Vladimir Putin just an evil person who does evil things? So there may be those kinds of people that exist in the world. I think the number is incredibly small. But what we see in those nameless, faceless people oftentimes are just people who are trying to figure out how to navigate through life in a fallen world, and they're doing so apart from the hope of Jesus shining in their lives. Compassion and not condemnation. Maybe, maybe one of the reasons that Abraham viewed the people of Sodom and Gomorrah the way that he did is because he knew them. The second reason that Abraham might have viewed the people of Sodom and Gomorrah with compassion and not condemnation is because he remembered where he was before God chose him. We talked about this in the first week of our series. When God showed up and told Abraham to leave his father's household to go to the land that God would show him, Abraham was not a follower of God. It wasn't like he had this long-standing relationship with God, and then God says, hey, since you've been faithful all these years, now here's the next thing that I've got for you. Abraham was a pagan meaning that he worshiped false gods. But for some reason, God showed up in his life, and God chose Abraham. And so now, years later, Abraham understands what it means, the blessing that being in a relationship with God brings to someone. He also could remember where he was before God showed up in his life. Now, does that mean that Abraham was as wicked as the people of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? No, probably not. But yet at the same time, he understood where he was, which was lost and without hope. We can easily begin to view people through the lens of condemnation instead of compassion when we forget where we were before God reached into our lives and rescued us. You remember what your life was like pre-Jesus? what you were doing before Jesus showed up in your life. Now, maybe some of you are, are like me. You grew up in a Christian family, and so your pre-Jesus days really didn't last all that long. It's important for us who grew up that way to remember where we could be if it weren't for Jesus. Now, does that mean that we would be as bad as we could ever be? Not necessarily, but we would be as bad off as we could ever be, which is like a lot of people that exist in the world, just trying to navigate through a broken world, trying to figure things out without the hope of Jesus. But it's really easy to begin to stand back when we forget where we were or where we would be without Jesus, and we can begin to say, look at how bad they are and how good I am. I love what the Apostle Paul does in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. This is kind of one of those, when you're reading through it, if you don't know what's coming, it's a passage that can trip you up. Because here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. He says, You know that no unrighteous person will inherit the kingdom of God. No idolater, adulterer, greedy person, no drunkard, nobody like that's going to inherit the kingdom of God. And you stop right there and you think, yeah. See, those bad people who do the bad things, they're not going to get in, but I am because I'm not like them. Well, then you got to keep reading, and Paul says this, but such were some of you. As Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, 
where it's really easy to stop and think, man, the bad people who do the bad things, they're not getting in. I'm glad I get in because I'm a good person. Paul says this, but you're the bad people who did the bad things. We are the bad people who did the bad things. But he continues and says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, you were declared righteous because of Jesus. Not because all of a sudden you started to do the good things. You were the bad people who did the bad things, but for some reason, Jesus reached down into your life and rescued you. It's really easy to begin to view people through the lens of condemnation and not compassion when we forget where we were before God reached into our lives. Number three, the reason that Abraham might have viewed the people of Sodom and Gomorrah through the lens of compassion and not condemnation is because he knew God's purpose for his life. This is something we actually haven't talked too much about in Abraham's story. It shows up here in, the, the, in Genesis 18 that we read, but it's a part of God's original call uh, on Abraham's life when he said, I want you to leave your father's household and go to the land. God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. I will bless you and the whole earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham understood the purpose of God's working in his life, the blessing that God brought on Abraham's life. It wasn't just for Abraham. It was for Abraham so that he could be a blessing to the entire world. And the fulfillment of that blessing ultimately is found in Jesus. When Jesus shows up, that is the ultimate fulfillment of the promise that was first given to God. But Abraham understood that he had been blessed to be a blessing. Now, let me tell you something that's happening a little bit behind the scenes in what Abraham is doing. Like, why is it that Abraham begins to intercede, bargaining with God, going from 50 people down to 10? It's because Abraham understood something, and there's this, it's a theme throughout the Bible, especially shows up in the Old Testament. It's the theme of the righteous remnant. Like, if there's just enough righteous people, then they can turn things around. And so at the very beginning, Abraham is saying to God, listen, God, if there are 50 righteous people in the city, don't destroy everybody because we can turn things around. I am confident of that. And they continue, God, like with 45, I'm sure that we can turn things around in that city. We can make a difference in the lives of those people with 45. He continues to go down and probably in Abraham's mind, he gets to 10. He says, God, man, it's going to be real hard. And I don't know for sure if we can do it. But if they're 10, maybe there's a chance. Give us a chance. And there weren't even 10. What's God's purpose on our lives? The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go make disciples of all nations call that God has placed on all of our lives is to make disciples, to point people back to Jesus, to help them to understand what life in Jesus is all about. And it is a call to reach all people, not just people that are like us, that look like us, or maybe have the same value systems that we do, or have the same worldview that we do, or even speak the same language that we do, to be a part of God's purpose of reaching everyone with the good news of Jesus. And when we truly embrace 
that mission, the mission, the purpose that God has given to us, it changes the way that we view people. It should change the way that we view people who live down the street, but also the way that we view people around the world. I'll give you an application of this. As we watch what is happening in Ukraine, man, our hearts should break. For the loss of innocence, yes, but also because of the evil that exists in the world. And I think about what John said at the end of the book of Revelation when he saw all the judgments of God being poured out, and he said, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Because ultimately, the only solution for the problems that we see that exist in the world today is Jesus. Viewing the world because of God's purpose for us through the lens of compassion and not condemnation. The last reason that Abraham might have viewed the people of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah with compassion and not condemnation is because he knew the God that he served. Now, for just a minute, I'm going to state the obvious, so hang with me. Abraham lived in the time that we refer to as the time of the Old Testament. Now, sometimes, reading through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, people get the idea that there's like two different gods, like almost like he's, he's bipolar or schizophrenic or something, because the God of the Old Testament seems to be very different than the God of the New Testament. That God in the Old Testament is all about vengeance, wrath, and justice, and judgment, and all of this stuff. And then you get to the New Testament, and there's a, we, we find a God of mercy and grace. And people are like, man, I, don't, I can't get behind the God of the Old Testament, but the God of the New Testament, the nicer one, that's the one that I'll go with. And I do think that there are some legitimate questions that we need to ask about what happens in the Old Testament. We need to wrestle through some of those things. We don't have time to do that today. But before we go too far and say it's very clear that there's a different God of the Old Testament than the one that we read about in the New Testament, maybe we should ask what people in the Old Testament thought about God and how they viewed God. I'm glad you asked because I'm going to give you the answer. Psalm 145, 8 and 9. Listen to this. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. He is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all that he's made. Good to everyone. His compassion rests on all that he's made. And just so that you don't think, well, that's the people of Israel. That's the way they viewed God. I'm going to remind you of the story of Jonah. Jonah's a guy who gets swallowed by the whale, and that's oftentimes what like, gets him the publicity. And, 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 but the, the reality is that part of Jonah's story is only a small part. The, the story of Jonah is not, can I survive in the belly of a whale for three days? That's not the point. Because at the beginning of the book of Jonah, God shows up to Jonah and says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh, an exceedingly wicked city. Does it sound familiar? Kind of a lot like Sodom and Gomorrah. And go tell them that I'm going to destroy their city. Sounds like something that an Israelite would want to do. Go to a foreign city and say, hey, God's going to destroy it. But Jonah didn't want to go. In fact, he got on the boat to go in the exact opposite direction. That's why there was the whale. He got swallowed, spit up on the ground. Eventually, he makes his way to Nineveh. And at the end of the book, we find out why Jonah did not want to go. Jonah said, God, I didn't want to go to Nineveh. 
because I was afraid if I told them that you were going to destroy their city, that they would repent of their wickedness and you wouldn't do what you said you were going to do. Compassion, not condemnation. See, I want to be right, which means that somebody else has got to be wrong. I want to win, which naturally means that somebody else is going to lose. I want to be good, which means somebody else needs to be evil. But man, I hope this is true of me, that even more than those things, I want to be like Jesus. When he saw the crowds had compassion on them, because they were weary and worn out, like sheep without a shepherd. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, for all those times that we look out at those people and think, why do they do that? Why are they the way they are? I pray, God, that you would convict us of that. Rather than standing from afar and criticizing and judging, may we view people with compassion. May we be more like Jesus, who constantly view people through the lens of compassion and he acted on their behalf. God, I pray that you would do in our hearts what you did in Abraham's. Somehow changed him so that even though these people of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were wicked, evil, vile people, Abraham thought to himself, God, I I think with just enough people we can make a difference. So Father, may that be our hearts. May our hearts reflect your heart which is a heart of compassion and not condemnation. And it's in Jesus' name that we